Asymmetrical Haircuts, Justice Update. In partnership with justiceinfo.net. All rise. Hi, Steph. Hi, Janet. Were you on Tent Hooks this week, waiting for the committee of the election for the prosecutor, uh, waiting for them to see what kind of shortlist they were going to come out with by the end of June? I was kind of on tender hooks, And of course, they, they dropped the decision just when I didn't expect it around midnight uh, when I'd already gone to bed. But it's been uh, a fascinating procedure that was set up in April last year, where you had five members of a committee to elect somebody with the legal experts added in. Initially, they had 55 applications to start, but they needed to, to widen it. And so they left the application going. And in the end, they had over 80 applications. And uh, that was finally whittled down to a short list of 16 and then 14. And then um, those people were all interviewed. And they've been, I think, quite um, transparent. Um, I mean, relatively for a for a committee that has to keep things, you know, private for reasons of privacy. I think they gave a breakdown by gender and by regional group of who'd actually applied and they'd had these consultations with NGOs. Yeah, and that was maybe for us the most interesting because there's been this big pressure and lobby to kind of focus on the character of the potential uh, next prosecutor. We had Dana Shako on the podcast explaining why there was this concern and where there were some uh, possible... Uh, Uh, Me Too rumors about around some candidates. And so everybody was stressing the high moral character of the next prosecutor. And we also had Diane Amon in the same podcast saying that it was going to be impossible to find anybody to fulfill everybody's expectations. But we should demand the best possible candidate. And now we've got the list. Yeah, we got a list that could be three to six people and they went for four. We have some names that we weren't expecting. I guess it's I guess it's all kind of names we weren't really expecting. Um, from Nigeria, we have Morris Anya and the Irish prosecutor, Fergal Gaynor. And from Uganda, the only woman on the list, Susan Okalani and Richard Roy from Canada. So you're saying they're a bit of a surprise to you. Do you know any of them? I do know Fergal Gaynor, and mostly he made an impression on me because he was one of the counsel for the Afghan victims in December, and I followed those hearings, and he was quite eloquent uh, in those hearings and also had this lovely Irish accent, so uh, he stood out, so when I saw the name, this was the only one that I knew. I think because of our ICC focus, he for me is also the one who stood out because of his work also for victims in one of the Kenya cases. But I had come across uh, Okalani's name previously with uh, the Thomas Coyello case at the International Crimes Division in Uganda. But really, they're, um, they're a bit different from what we were expecting. Yeah, not only for us, the whole Twitter sphere was all about surprise. And then people jumped on that saying we shouldn't be surprised and all of that. So we had uh, the chair of the committee on before on our podcast, Sabine Nolka, and we invited her for this justice update, which we're doing in partnership with Justice Info to come on and tell us a bit more about uh, the process. Hi, Sabine. Ambassador Nolka, are you there? I am there. Good morning or rather good afternoon. I've lost track of time. It's been a very long three and a half months. And you're speaking to us from Dublin, I think. Is that right? And uh, did I see that you were in Connemara yesterday where I took my honeymoon? Yes, I was. It was my first outing after, well, three and a half months of lockdown. So it was very, very exciting. Yeah, very happy to be out there and breathing some fresh air and, yeah, doing my job, which is great. 
Well, let's get down to uh, the reason that we're talking to you, which is the selection of the ICC prosecutor, candidates for the ICC prosecutor. So just to start with, can we ask you how difficult was this, considering that you've been performing the last part of this under these COVID-19 circumstances? Well, it it certainly changed uh, the approach. We hoped to meet all the candidates face-to-face at the end of April in The Hague. And then that became uh, pretty quickly uh, and pretty obviously impossible to do. So we decided to go through virtual interviews. The rest of the world is functioning virtually these days, although we ended up using the uh, court's uh, confidential uh, webcast, uh, uh, um, Webex uh, platform, which is the same platform that they use to, uh, to interview witnesses in cases, for example remotely. So it's a, it's a secure and confidential platform. The trick, of course, was that um, we have five experts on the panel, five committee members in many different time zones. And the candidates came to us from many different time zones as well. So instead of being able to do the interviews in a three-hour block, they were actually spread out over three and a half weeks because we had to find that one window where everybody make it. And they succeeded. So, so we managed to complete all the interviews within the time that we had been asked, which was the end of June. And talking about candidates, um, in the beginning, you were kind of, I guess, struggling to get applications. The deadline had to be extended. Why do you think uh, people didn't apply or especially women and not so many women applied? Well, I, I honestly, I can't answer that question i can only speculate i mean you can't prove a negative so i can't say more people didn't apply because i can only speak for the ones to some extent who did we did have uh, far fewer applications than i thought uh, including some uh, from people that you thought would be applying and did not Um, we did extend with a special exhortation to states to make sure that uh, the ad was brought to the attention of qualified professionals, particularly in the domestic systems. I mean, frankly, the uh, the pool of international criminal experts is not huge. And uh, we also heard loud and clear from states prior to the process starting that uh, they also wanted something new and wanted to really reach out far and wide to see where we could find qualified candidates that could help us meet the court's challenges for the next nine years. And uh, so we did extend and we did recirculate the uh, the vacancy advertisement amongst prosecutorial associations. And again, as I said, asked states to make sure that it was brought to the attention of people they thought might be um, qualified applicants. And it, it did work. We got quite a few more in the last four weeks. So that was very gratifying, but we still only ended up with 89 applicants. And, uh, and I must say that um, not all of those applicants were, shall we say, immediately apparent as being qualified. We had a couple who clearly applied for the wrong job on the um, ICC's um, vacancy list. And, uh, and so, yes, it, it, it was, um, the, the pool was a bit shallow, we had hoped. But I think we, uh, we did end up with a number of very highly qualified applicants. We interviewed, uh, we had an initially set uh, 16 to be interviewed. Uh, two of them dropped out um, before the interview. Um, so that brought us down to 14. But I think uh, there were some very promising candidates in there. 
And uh, I do uh, firmly believe that, that we ended up with the most highly qualified uh, candidates that, uh, that we interviewed. Your report has a lot of detail in it uh, about all of the different things you were you were looking for. I mean, we've got actual experience. We've got this high moral character issue. We've got the record of independence and impartiality. You know, I'm wondering how on earth did you manage to balance up those those different things? Was there was there one element that was more important than the others for you? Because we have seen some some criticism back to your choices to suggest that maybe your actual experience value was was less highly high higher value than the others um, well I've, I've only seen a little bit of the criticism i mean i'm sitting in dublin and i frankly i don't have a lot of time to go and read uh, twitter and, and try and draw, draw things out one of the criticisms is well where are the heavy hitters well i suppose that depends on how you define the heavy hitter is it somebody you're, you know? And it almost by definition has to be somebody you know that you define as a heavy, heavy hitter. So if you get a new person that you're familiar with, by your definition, they cannot be that. Really, we looked at all the qualifications. It was a big picture. Uh, and you will find that in our little summary of the candidates that did come out on top, um, we noted where they had some shortcomings. And uh, we certainly invite the state's parties to test those. Was there any one quality that stood out? Uh, no, because they, they were all equal. We looked for a complete package. We looked for somebody who could, uh, who could manage the court, who could instill the confidence of the teams working for them. Uh, we looked for someone who would bring experience of handling complex cases because uh, that was clearly something that was on at top of the mind of, of states' parties. We looked for someone who would have an understanding of putting a case together with credible evidence that would lead to prosecutorial success. And yes, we looked for high moral character as well, because uh, in the past, as you know, there have been issues raised to that effect as well. So it was a complete package. Uh, and you will see that in the report, we actually said very specifically, there is no such thing as the perfect candidate. Everyone, yeah, everyone will have something where, where they may not be perfect yet. But bearing that in mind, we also looked at somebody who, if they had a lacuna, would have the right personality, the right skill set, and the right attitude to grow into that. Some commentators on Twitter uh, argue that maybe you went, f because in, in three out of the four people, it has a little note uh, with the shortcomings saying that they haven't uh, ran major uh, teams or haven't run such a big division before. And one of the comments on Twitter was maybe that you, the commission went for this because um, that was kind of bringing new blood into the ICC and that you weren't kind of choosing the usual suspects of people who had run all these uh, previous international courts before. And, and that's why you went with these candidates. What, I know you can't actually comment on, <laughs> yes, that's exactly what we did, but I'm, uh, I'm wondering because you're also stressing the kind of we wanted a change, we wanted something new. So that was, I guess, a big factor in, in, the, in, the, in the process? Uh, no, not, no, not necessarily. I think the, the raw fact of the matter is uh, the op 
OTP has what, 500 people in it? How many prosecutors could you name offhand who've managed a team that size? And the answer is there aren't very many. So what you then look for is you look for somebody who is capable of managing a team that size. And that is a question of attitude, of approach. Um, is the person willing to delegate? How do they understand accountability? Do they understand diversity? Do they understand the value of different perspectives? And, and all of those things uh, are, are things that we're looking for. Uh, the fact that you've done something in the past doesn't mean you're the right person to do it again. And I'm speaking very generally here. You know, you look at the qualities of the individual and that's why it's important to note that this was a competency approach to, inter to the interview. It's competency-based. It's not experience-based necessarily. And of course, experience forms one of the competencies, but it's not the single determinative factor just because I've done it again means I can do it again. Uh, no, it's, uh, am I capable of doing this? That's what we were looking for. There was an, an, a new approach that you took to uh, vetting, that you took uh, the way that the ICC handles uh, new candidates for all of the people who come to work at the ICC, the safety and security section, I think it's called, and you added that procedure in. Did that actually affect the outcome, you adding that procedure in? Forgive me if I don't give a direct answer to that one, but I can certainly tell you that it, it gave an important dimension to the discussions that we had. Verifying candidates' claims, I think, is, is very important. And any organization that I know does that before they offer somebody a job. I mean, I have hired dozens and dozens of people in my past, and the very first thing I do is pick up the phone and check the references. Now, intriguingly, in all other appointment processes in the court, that is done. It is not done for elected officials. And it became very clear to us in our discussions with civil society specifically that they were concerned by this because uh, we, I think, as multilateralists understand that once an electoral process begins, there are named candidates, there are nominated candidates, states parties start their lobbying, that a lot of the time some of those details get lost uh, amongst the politicking. It was very clear to us that civil society, which to us con constitutes a large part of who the court is for and about, that in order for the process to be a legitimate one, uh, we had to introduce something like that to ensure that the qualifications under Article 42.3 of the Rome Statute are in fact met, and that is the high moral character. And that, that is information that you can really get through a vetting process. And you have, in the end, there's a short list of only four candidates. You could have had six, according to the, the process. Yes, we could also have had three. Yeah, oh, but it seems like surely you had six well enough qualified candidates. Is it four? Sounds like a, not so much, really. We went for the most qualified candidates. Uh, we also went for the candidates uh, on which we could uh, have consensus as a committee and for which we also took the advice from the panel of experts. So we ended up with four as a result of all of this. Is this election balanced, do you think? There's, there's comments that only one woman and, and two Africans. And... 
Well, I mean, have a look at the pool of applicants and we put that into the report on purpose because we knew that this would be one of the questions we'd be asked. Our job was to come up with the most highly qualified candidates. We did that. Secondarily, we were supposed to look at gender and geographic distribution. If we'd had qualified candidates that met all our criteria and that presented all the competencies in the interview process, we might have had more. We might have had a more diverse slate. But again, the pool is shallow. And you looked at the, the number of Eastern European applicants, for example, was in the single digits. We can't conjure them up. You know, we have to go with uh, with who we have, and that's what we did. And amongst the applicants that we did have, we picked who we considered to be the most highly qualified, and we're very confident in our assessment. These were not choices that were derived that lightly. It took us a long time. And uh, as I said, uh, it was a unanimous choice. And I think the state's parties and civil society can take uh, a fair bit of confidence based on that. Uh, there are no compromise candidates on that list. These were people that we could all agree on would be able to do the job and would do good service to the court. Talking about compromise, uh, the period for nominations has now been opened by the uh, Bureau of the Assembly of States Parties. And their emphasis is that the court needs to find, well, the states need to find for the court a consensus candidate. Some people are saying, well, actually, states could nominate somebody who's not on this list. I mean, what, what, what kind of approach you're expecting states to, uh, to take from now? Well, honestly, I, I can't speak for the states on this one. Uh, the Rome Statute has a process which asks for states to nominate uh, it does not include a process like the one that we have just engaged in. However, the process that we've just engaged in, and it took over a year, was put together by states because they had found that what they had in place previously wasn't doing the trick. So they wanted something different and something new. And that is the process that we've built and that we worked with. Yes, we do have recommendations for the future, and you will see that in the report. We'd be very happy to produce a lessons learned on the process that we've had, whether it can be improved, whether there can be things that should be changed. How states will look at this, there is nothing to stop a state from nominating someone who is not on the list. But I would also remind states that they're the ones who chose the process that produced the candidates that we put to them. So... There it is. That's, I think, all that I can say on, on, on this matter. But we, we shall see. And now this, this process is kind of rounded off. And I guess now you can possibly get back to being slightly impartial again. Um, so you're Canadian. You have a Canadian candidate. Are you hoping for a win for Canada? I am absolutely not hoping for a win for Canada. I'm hoping for a win for the court. And just for the record, any candidate that we interviewed or even that we considered put on the long list for the interview, if that candidate was a national of one of the panel members or one of the committee members, that committee or panel member would leave the room for that discussion to happen. I did not participate in any of the discussions around the Canadian candidate and uh, others did not participate in discussions around candidates that may have been of their nationality. So, uh, so no, uh, and I will remain objective on that process. At this point, um, I, I am sitting in Dublin. I am not responsible for, for trying to nominate anyone or uh, so I can stay completely objective. All I can say 
is that the four candidates we present are all people we are confident are capable of doing the job. Thank you very much for your time, uh, Sabine, and I uh, hope that you can enjoy uh, getting out of Dublin again at some, t- some point soon. It would be lovely. Thanks very much, Janet. Thanks a lot, Stephanie. It was great to see you guys again, if only virtually. All right. Thank you. Cheers. It was good to see you again. Bye. Bye. This podcast was created and presented by Janet Anderson and Stephanie van den Berg. It is published in partnership with justiceinfo.net. You can find show notes and additional blogs on asymmetricalhaircuts.com. It is recorded in the Hague Humanity Hub, home to a community of innovators in the field of peace, justice, development and humanitarian action. Music is by audionautics.com and the show is available on every major podcast service, so please subscribe, give us a rating and spread the word. 